my name is Barbara and I am an alcoholic. It is by God's grace this program and you people my dry dates August 14th 1982 and I'm very grateful for that and uh, I looked up just a while ago and uh, saying but for the grace of God and, and you know when I first got here I didn't understand you know I'd hear people introduce themselves and where we're from everybody gives dry dates and, and you know it, I'd hear them say, by the grace of God, everybody said it. And I'm thinking, well, you just say that, and then you fit right in. And, uh, you know, because I thought we all said the same thing. And today I know it's a long way by God's grace, and but for the grace of God. And I didn't know that when I first got here. Uh, first off, I'd like to thank Jay and the committee for inviting us. Um, the fruit baskets in the rooms, they're good. We had two, so we auctioned one off, Jay, in the parking lot. <laughs> it's way too much for, for two people. <laughs> um, and what a neat deal. What a neat deal to be asked to come and share in the Fellowship of Alcoholics Anonymous. You know, when I got here, people wanted to get rid of me. They didn't want me around. And, um, and today it seems like some, some of y'all... Not everybody, you know, invite us places. And, and that's a neat deal, and that's a long way. You know, we, we got here yesterday, and uh, we're sitting out on the veranda. That's what I call it, the veranda, drinking coffee and smoking. And we were talking about, you know, this is a long way from where I come from, long way from where all of us come from, if you're alcoholic like I am. And uh, it's only by God's grace in, in this program. Uh, that we get to do these things. Uh, we were talking earlier about uh, revocation and revoke, you know, getting probation revoked. And uh, uh, I know about that. Uh, and today, you know, and, and today I, I still I still believe and I teach my sponsees we're on probation, you know, because we can get revoked any time. <laughs> if I get to thinking too much, I'll get revoked. Uh, and I know the book, I always wish I could tell a, a joke of some kind, but I can't from behind the podium because it's, uh, I can tell it out there and then we'd all calm down if we could laugh a little bit because the laughter, you know, it's, uh, it, it's common and, uh, um, I know I'd calm down a little bit <laughs> and I'll, I'll get over, I'll get through this here in a minute and get started, um. The book says that we share in a general way what we were like, what happened, and what we're like today, and that's what I'm going to try to do. Uh, I was born and raised in Abilene, Texas. Uh, actually, I was born in Abilene. We lived out in the oil field in Ty, Texas, and that's just, you know, a few houses scattered with, out in the oil fields. And uh, we lived out in the country like that until time to start to school, and we moved to, to town. And, uh, you know, I remember that life was fun out in the oil fields and um, you know I've always enjoyed smelling that gas or whatever it was <laughs> we should have known a long time ago something was going to be wrong with me because it it really you know it smells like rotten eggs I think but it I always thought it smelled pretty good I always I always enjoy I like filling up the cars and smelling the gas fumes you know and uh, I wasn't a huffer but uh I like, you know, I like some of those smells, and uh, a lot of people think they just are really gross smelling, but I think, 
oh, you know. And I know when I took my first drink, that's kind of how it was. It was like, oh, you know. But anyway, growing up, I, I'm next to the oldest. I have three brothers. And uh, both of my parents were alcoholics. And I can say that because my dad is two days sober two days longer than I am. And neither one of us knew we were getting sober, and that was really that's really neat because we have that common, you know, uh, we don't talk that much program because he pulls, you know, uh, he's got more time than I do. <laughs> and I just tell him, you know, it's quality, not quantity. And uh, so we get to play and everything. But, but Dad and I have always been, you know, we've been big buds, even when we were drinking. Uh, and growing up... Um, uh, it wasn't fun. You know, after we moved to Abilene, it wasn't fun because what I remember about that is whenever the drinking got real heavy and there was a lot of fighting and, uh, you know, you could come home, come down the street and you see things, flying objects out, going out in the street and you knew it was your house and it was like you didn't want to go there, you know. You don't take people home. Uh, you don't take your friends home. And... Um, you go along and uh, you get awakened during the night because they're fighting. And uh, I always wanted to run from an early age. I didn't until I was a little older, but um, I'll get there in a little bit. Um, my mother was a running drunk. She she drank and she ran. And she would go to El Paso and she'd go to California and she'd go, I don't know where else. But she would run and uh you know, I had that thought, and I think a lot of us do, is when we had come from an alcoholic home, is that I'll never be like her. Um, and I just, you know, I made that, that vow that I'd never be like my mother. And, uh, you know, the police would call from El Paso or Chicago or wherever she was at, and Daddy would say, I don't care where you send her, just don't send her back here. And God, I wanted my mom to come home, because I'm in this house full of boys, and uh, I have one brother that's older than I am, and he was busy in in sports, and the two younger brothers, and I started taking them to the babysitter and picking them up on my way home from school when I was about in the third grade. So I became, you know, I started becoming a lot older at, at a very young age, and I grew up fast. And um, we moved to Lubbock whenever I was was 12, just fixing to turn 13, and I'm sure that was a they say a traumatic experience, you know, at that age, becoming a teenager and everything. I think every day was traumatic for me, you know, <laughs> the way I saw it. Um, I went along and uh, I got introduced to some girls that were a little older. There was a swimming pool not far from the house. And, um, you know, it's amazing to me how we can all remember how old we were when we took that first drink and got drunk. You know, and I was 13. And uh, things changed in my life. Um, because I remember, you know, drinking that Strawberry Hill wine. And I like to drink right out of the bottle. I've always drank straight out of the bottle. I like to take the lid off and throw it away and drink. And uh, <laughs> it's uh, why, why dirty up a glass or anything, you know, just <laughs> drink it. Uh but that's whenever I started physically running was when I was 13. I spent my first first time in jail. I was 13. Uh, 
I just started getting in trouble when I was the first time I was on probation was 13, <laughs> and uh, a lot of that didn't change for for a lot of years. Um, I started running physically. I ran away from home. Uh, we just had to move our home group, and we were riding by riding down 42nd Street the other day, and I was pointing. Now I'm confused about two houses on that street because one of them I stayed in the closet for three days. And I was telling Bob about it. And uh, it's a big house, and the closet was big. It was as big as our, our bathroom at our house, you know. And um, Terry's mother never knew I was there, you know. And I went home because I had to go to a probation meeting. And, and I remember standing in front of that judge and t- telling that judge that if he made me go back home, I was leaving again. And... Um, I just never, I, I never felt like I fit in my family. I always felt like uh, they were from another country or something. I'm sure it wasn't me feeling like I was from a different country, you know. Um, we went on and uh, I started living in a foster home. And I know there's some good foster homes. And I know there's been a deal that we saw on TV the other day about that lady having those kids in those cages and and, and, I mean, it just tore my heart out because the, I was fortunate enough to live in, in one that the parents cared about the kids. And, you know, they believed in me. And they believed in all those kids that lived in that home. But what I did was I abused that household, too, because I'd go home to visit my parents, and it would it seemed like it'd be okay. Uh, the book talks about how we always want to be the center of attention and self, you know, it's always me, me, me. And, and I'd go home to visit mom and dad and the boys, and, and the drinking wasn't as bad, and I'd get a lot of attention. And then I'd go and tell my foster parents that I think they're I think they're doing better. I think I can move back home. And so I'd move back home, and that'd last about two weeks. And then we were right back to the same drinking and fighting, and you know. Uh, so I'd go visit my foster parents, and, and then I'd get all the attention on the visit, and. Uh, I'd tell them how bad it was at home, and I'd move back over there. And, and I played that running game uh, for several years, for several years. In fact, for about four, four or five years, I did that. Um, and, and I didn't know it was me. I didn't know it was me uh, not knowing how to deal with, with things that were going on. Um, I went on and... Uh, you know, the book talks about how defiance, how defiant we are and, and rebellion dogs are ever step. And, I mean, it's it's just totally amazing to me the more I read the book, even today, the more I'm in the book. Uh, all my life, I, I was a rebel. Uh, you know, uh, Daddy would need to go to work, and he'd need somebody to stay home and take care of Mom. And Because she was she was not only a drunk, she, she took a lot of other stuff, too, and... Uh, it, it, she really didn't need to be left by herself. And I'd, you know, Daddy had asked me to stay home from school and help take care of her, and I'd just I'd lie, you know. Uh, I'd tell him I had a big test or something, and uh, really I'd skip school. Uh, so, I, you know, I got here, I was a liar, a cheat, and a thief, and I started doing those things real early. Um My rebellion and defiance, uh, you know, in, in Texas, and I don't know what it is here, 
you can quit school whenever you turn 16. And uh, I didn't know that when I was 15, fixing to turn 16. And I didn't know that until the mom and dad and the, and the principal and the counselor, they're telling me, just because you turn 16, you can't quit school. And I'm like, really? I didn't know you could. So when I turned 16, I quit school. You know, it's like... Uh, I, I, it's like all my life, you know, if they tell me I can't, I, I, I do. And, and and I do everything backwards. You know, I've always, you know, I've always done things backwards. Uh, I quit school. I went to work. I, I, I've always worked. Uh, growing up with three boys, you just kind of get treated like one of the boys most of the time. And and, and and I'm grateful for that today because I, I learned a lot of things that came in handy later on because whenever uh, Daddy taught the boys how to change the flat tires and change the battery and change the oil and, you know, do some of that car maintenance stuff. And, you know, later in life it came in handy whenever I was single and uh, and divorced, you know, because you need to know how to do some of those things. And, uh, you know, I learned how to become grateful for those teachings, but I, I didn't like it at the time because I thought I should be treated special because I was a girl. And uh, I've always been spoiled. And uh, I have to be real careful with that even today because uh, my daddy's always spoiled me to a certain extent. Bob, he spoils me. I, have, I finally learned, and we got married in sobriety, so uh, it, it was a new deal, but... It, but the thing is, is when we first got married, I could tell Bob I liked something and he'd buy it for me. And, and I had to, we had to have an ex, you know, we had to have a discussion group conscience meeting at our house. Because, <laughs> because just because I like it doesn't mean I want it. And so I had, I had to explain that to him. And, uh, I mean, I saw a prelude car on the TV and I said, you know, babe, that's really nice. And so he went and bought me one. And I mean, you know, I did, and that was the worst riding car. <laughs> it was bad. You know, I mean, it was it was real bad. And uh, some of those, I, you know, it was a cute little car, but that's when we had the group conscience meeting. Uh, but I have, you know, I've had to learn how to be careful with. So I'll, I'll help you through this here. You know, um, but back to. Uh, you know, we heard a lady speak several years ago, and she talked about that if you've been married three times, you can say several, and that's all you need to say about it. And I've been married several times, and I'm not going to go through every one of those marriages. And uh, I know y'all will be grateful for that. They were... <laughs> um, I know that I've always done things backwards, you know, the... Uh, the I got pregnant when I was 17, and I was on probation, and mom and dad wouldn't sign for me to get married to this guy. He wasn't the father of the child, but we were going to get married, and so the, I was still in the welfare system, and, and they sent me to Fort Worth and was going to make me give that baby up for adoption. That's not really what I wanted to do, but they talked, I mean, again, somebody was telling me what to do. So I went to Fort Worth, and uh, uh, two days before my 18th birthday, uh, he called, and we decided to get married. He's, you know, and I, I, I've always done things with motives behind them. And uh, that first marriage, the motive was I didn't want to give that baby up for adoption. And all the way home, we talked about getting a divorce. And so, I mean, you know, it's, uh, <laughs> it's not just not right. Uh, <laughs> now that I, you know, when I look back on it, 
Uh, it seemed like the thing to do at the time, but it was uh, not good. Uh, that marriage lasted three years. And uh, after I had her, the first one, uh, I, got, I became pregnant with the second one. And uh, after three years, we got divorced. And, and then it started. And, and I, w- I was drinking some. Um, after I got to treatment, and I'm not one of those that, I'm not one of the ones that woke up one morning and called Alcoholics Anonymous or called a treatment center because it just wasn't, you know, I didn't know anything about alcoholism. I know mom and dad drank a lot. Uh, now, the more I've learned about my disease, the more I know about their disease. But uh, at that time, I didn't have an inkling of any of this kind of stuff. And um, it just, you know, uh, whenever I got honest about my own drinking, I was carrying a filth of Southern Comfort around in the glove box whenever I was 18 years old. And uh, I, I was taking drinks before I went to work. And, and I remember it, it would make, you know, that calmness on the inside. I just never had any calmness on the inside. Um, it was like uh, the oldest daughter. Well, Bob and I have five kids. He's got three and I've got two, we, so we have five. And uh, my oldest daughter, she uh, she doesn't drink. I mean, she'll drink about, you know, about that much. And uh, I'm like, is that, all you, is that all you drink? She goes, well, Mom, I feel out of control. And I'm like... <laughs> Shelly, this is what I keep telling you. When I drink, I feel in control. I feel like things work, you know, and I fit whenever I drink this much. And uh, she's like, Mom, I don't get it. And I said, you're not supposed to. I'm grateful you don't get it, you know. <laughs> but, um, you know, I went along and uh, things just were always crazy in my life. Uh, like I said, I've been married several times, and actually, this is my fifth. And every one of them, up until this one, there was a motive. And I didn't know that until I got here, and some of y'all shared with me and the sponsor. Uh, I just know the book talks about this disease being progressive, and it's progressive, and I can see it today, and I couldn't when I first got here. Um, the progression... For women, I know, is, is faster than it is for men. Uh, I certainly use some other chemicals, those outside issues that um, probably got me here a lot quicker, but they also allowed me to drink a lot more. And uh, when I got here, I was unemployable. Um, I was unable to take care of my kids. Uh, I was getting another divorce. And I was living with a lady, and like I said, you know, people were real tired of my stuff. Uh, I'd gotten to a place to where um, I knew Bob before we got before I got sober, because I waited tables and I, and I waited on his him and his dad. They own a pawn shop, and all my stuff was in their pawn shop. <laughs> and <laughs> uh, so that's. Uh, he still owns a pawn shop, you know. Now it's kind of our pawn shop. But uh, none of my stuff is there anymore. Uh, but the thing is, I didn't just pawn my stuff. I pawned other people's stuff, too. And, uh, you know, 
uh, that's what we do. Uh, the girl I was living with, and she was a friend, uh, and she worked out at TI, and she, uh, her and her supervisor had been talking about me, you know, and uh, I, I always, I hate it whenever y'all talk about me and I'm not there. I want to be there, you know. Uh, but uh, and come to find out, he was a member of, of, of Alcoholics Anonymous, and she, he was sharing with her what she needed to do. And uh, and I know I, I'm going to miss a lot because I much rather talk about sobriety and recovery. Um, that is, uh, I love those speakers to get it, that they say I'm not going to stay drunk all night. I'm not going to give a long drunk a log, and then they're drunk all night long. And that I've been guilty of that. I don't want to do that tonight. And uh, I want to get into the recovery because recovery's been neat. But uh, when I got here, I, I was a real sick little girl. And Clyde came and made that 12-step call on me. And I don't, I don't remember any. I don't know anything he said. I know that he was real big. And uh, he was he's from over here in the Carolinas. And uh, he was six months sober. And I'm sure he did a real good 12-step call. But the only thing I heard was that there was a dance and a barbecue out at White River Lake. And... <laughs> And uh, I had been to White River Lake before, and they had good parties out there most of the time. And they had all the all the booze you wanted to drink and a lot of other stuff. And I just went and got in the car. I mean, I, I didn't pack a bag. Somebody else, you know, Lois and Robin packed a bag for me, and I'm grateful. And, and the sad thing is, is uh, and, and I understand today, and I understood for a lot of years now, why they wanted me to go somewhere. Uh, I weighed about 75 or 80 pounds, and uh, I've recovered from that. <laughs> and if I don't tell you all that, Bob will, so I'd rather me tell you. Um, the, the, my kids, uh, you know, I made that, that sworn statement that I'd never go and leave my kids like my mother did, did us. And what I did was I sent my kids places. I'd send them to my dad or I'd send them to my brother. And I was supposed to pick that daughter up at the at the bus station, and I forgot. And uh, I'd gotten to a place to where I wasn't able to work, and, and I, the only thing I could do is drink. In um, the big book talks about, you know, we drink to live and live to drink, and uh, and that's certainly where I was at. And I was started, you know, those those promises of I'm never going to do this again. And I'd pull up to a dumpster, and uh, I was bad to write checks on other people's checkbooks. And I'd pull up in front of a dumpster and I'd tear them checks up and then would be, you know, please God, I just, I, I can't do this anymore. You know, please help me. And then I'd leave there and I'd go get another checkbook. You know, I, I couldn't follow through with that and I didn't know what to do. And uh, I'd gone through about two days. I didn't know I was detoxing at the time and I was in withdrawal and DTs, those little spiders with all them legs and you know, they put me in the bathtub before, they was going to clean me up before Clyde came. And they put me in the bathtub and they'd squeeze that wash rag and, you know, it just looked like a shower head full of spiders coming out. And uh, and the kids, they would pick the bugs off of me. And, and I'd be okay as long as somebody was just, you know, doing me like that, picking them spiders off of me. And uh, Clyde came and did the deal and, and I went to White River Lake and... Uh, 
I made Clyde real nervous because I was picking snakes out from underneath his seat, and I couldn't get the window down. And I saw him the other day, and it's it's kind of fresh on my mind because he reminds me every time he sees me about uh, I had him paranoid by the time we got out there. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> so, uh, and, and Clyde, Clyde's big. He was he's a colonel, you know. He's big. And I was about 75, 80 pounds, but I had him scared, so that's good. I was real mad at him for a while after I got here because I didn't know. He didn't stop and get anything for me to drink on the way. And the retreat uh, where I went to treatment was about an hour away from the house. And after I got here and found out, you know, that you could stop and buy a bottle for the person to cut. I thought I needed to do, we need to do this again because I think I got cheated. But... Uh, you know, we got out there, and uh, like I said, Lois and Robert didn't pack me a bag, and, and, and Clyde took me, and we pulled up in front of this building and went in there, and, and I swear there was this many people there. Now, it, it was about 250, but if, in the room, it looked like this many to me, and it was the second anniversary of White River Retreat, and uh, the guest speaker was Mr. Bob. Now, like I said, I knew Bob before before I got sober because I'd waited on him, and uh, he certainly owned the pawn shop. And uh, but when I saw him there, you know, I ducked and I tried to hide. Uh, you know, you kind of come in and come out, and uh, I wanted to talk to him and tell him I saw. You know how it was drunk women. You know, <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. You know, and. Uh, I had it. it was pretty bad, wasn't it, babe? Uh, drunk women. And Bob today, he's like a y'all go talk to her. He don't want no. He don't want to talk no woman drunk. You know. He's like y'all just load up and go. But uh, just keep them away from me. <laughs> uh, he's got some stories about twelve step calls too. But um, you know, I got out, I got out there in treatment and started learning about alcoholism. And, um, you know, how we pat, pat newcomers on the back and we tell them, you know, it'll get better. Just keep coming back. It'll get better. And I, and I promised the first couple of weeks I was in treatment, you know, I couldn't see where, where this sobriety and recovery was, was very much fun. Um, the first week, the, I guess the second week I was in treatment is whenever uh, they served papers on me where uh, this husband I was divorcing, it was taking the kids away from me. And uh, that was my first good bout with anger because he wasn't their daddy. Now, I, I kind of forgot that he loved them enough to adopt them. But, you know, we get into that. You know, who do you think you are? You're not even their father. And uh, the next week is when my friend brought the newspaper out there and they had indicted me on two counts of forgery. And so I couldn't see where recovery was just real, you know, fun. <laughs> and uh, it took a long time for me to, for, for the lights to come on. And, and, you know, I'd be walking across the dining room floor with a cup of coffee in my hand. And it'd just drop, you know. I'd just, uh, <laughs> just drop. Um, and I'd start crying. You never knew if I was going to cry or laugh or, you know, the typical, you know, a lot of us have gone through. Um they kept me in treatment nearly two months before they let me go. Um, 
because I was just, you know, I was goofy. I, I mean, I get goofy now, but I was real goofy back then. And uh, there was a lot of things that uh, that were going on. I certainly had some warrants for my arrest, and uh, they wasn't sure, you know, what they were going to do with me. Uh, when it did get time for me to leave treatment, there was a little, my little counselor, she was, she was not as tall as I am, and uh, there was a women's shelter in Lubbock called the Ask House for Women, and it was Alcoholic Services Knox for Women. And uh, Aaliyah looked at me, and she said, we've made arrangements for you to go to this shelter for women. And I'm like, I, you know, I thought she was talking to somebody behind me because I, I, I certainly wasn't going to go live with a house full of women. And... Um, I, I had met some of them because they came out on Saturday night to the open meeting. And uh, there was a, a little fiery lady that was the director. And uh, her name was Velva, Velma B. And uh, you could tell she was a drunk. She looked like a drunk. You know? <laughs> and, I mean, she talked like one, too. And uh, <laughs> just like the rest of us. But she was, uh, you know, you, you knew she loved you. And uh, I, I really didn't want to participate in her deal. And uh, But I didn't have anywhere to go. And like I said a while ago, you know, I've always done things back, backwards. And so I looked at Alita and I said, Alita, you don't understand. I'm going to get the kids back. I'm going to get a, an apartment and get a job. And, and that was my thinking, you know. And, and that's a little backwards from what we need to do. Because I didn't have any money. I, and, you know, and I didn't, this old car I had was, it was like a 76 Dodge Plymouth. And I tried to borrow money on it. And Bob told me he wouldn't loan me any money on my car. <laughs> and, uh, the kids didn't want me picking them up in that car. It looked like it had the chicken pox. And, uh, it was, uh, you didn't know if he was going to make it or not make it. But I got out of treatment, and I went to the Ask House. And uh, when I was in treatment, I, I, I'm very grateful, and, and, and I know I'm, I'm very lucky because it was pure Alcoholics Anonymous, you know, and they loved me and bathed me in Alcoholics Anonymous. And the only thing we did was read the 12 and 12 in the big book, and uh, back when we used the 24-hour book. And I hated that book because it talked about God. Um, in 1977, my mother passed away. And that's whenever my drinking, and I left that part out, I'm sorry. Uh, that's when my drinking and, and, and stuff really, really got bad. Because a couple of months before my mother passed away, uh, it, uh, you know, I shook my fist at God and I said, how dare you, you know, what have I done, you know. Because we started visiting just a little bit and uh, she was real sick and uh, she was sober. But as a result of her drinking, she had a lot of other complications and uh, I, I, I had no not a clue about what God's will was or what what his job was or anything else I just knew I got real angry at God and I, and I got real busy drinking and using and um, you know trying to do what I was supposed to do but but not able to because drinking always took a priority over what I needed to do um I got out of treatment and went to the Ask House, and they're telling me uh, there's rules at the at this shelter. 
and you have to go to meetings every day, and you have to be in by a certain time. You have to get up at 6 o'clock in the morning, and that wasn't very, that wasn't on my agenda. And you had to be home at a certain time. And the little girl that's telling me, and to me she was a little girl because she was 21 and I was 29. And she's telling me what time I have to be home. And, you know, I, uh, I said, you really don't need to tell me what time to be home, Cynthia. I'm 29 years old. And she looked right at me and I, she's a little bitty thing. And she said, Barbara, if you're going to live here, these are the rules. And, and I said, well, I just don't know about that, Cynthia. And, uh, I signed them, you know, I signed the rules and, you know, one day at a time I could, I could function in that. Uh, first day out of treatment, I had to turn myself in and, and do that deal on that forgery. And, uh, I got to see the kids periodically. Uh, the kids would come over to the house or something and they would go to meetings and they loved, they loved y'all, you know, because there was, because of the laughter. Because of the fun, they'd have those AA dances, you know, and the kids would get to go. Uh, of course, my sponsor and other people in the programs, they said, you don't need to get in a relationship in the first year of sobriety, and we don't pay attention. I'm not divorced yet, but you got to get one going. And uh, it was, uh, you know, you, you'd break up and... And I'd see him with her at a meeting, and then I'd get crazy. And my sponsor's telling me, you don't give anybody the privilege to keep you away from a meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous. And I just, all I want to do is get up and kill both of them, you know, because I I like to fight, you know. I, I like to go to bars and fight. And in early sobriety, I still, you know, we still have that mentality. And that behavior hadn't completely cleared up. And, uh, but anyway, we just, we got married, you know, <laughs> and I got married, I wanted to get married at the, at the treatment center because I wanted to be the first one to do that. And, uh, so Bob took pictures of the wedding and, uh, the thing is, is that, uh, he was married to the lady that owned the treatment center and so... She was my first sponsor. Now, this, I mean, it really sounds screwy, but it wasn't screwy. It's just, you know, I mean, I've known Bob a long time, and I've just known Bob a long time. There never was anything screwy about it, you know. And uh, Judy's telling him she really doesn't want to marry him, and he's telling her. I just found this out not too long ago, y'all. Y'all are the first to know. (laughs) Bob wants to know why in hell I'm marrying him. And Judy's like, well, I don't know. And uh, <coughs> But the only way I know to do a relationship is you, you date a couple of months, you get married, you fight, and you get a divorce. I mean, it makes sense to me. Still. I mean, uh, because our deal is different, you know. Our deal is completely different. Um uh, Anyway, I, we we lived together six months and eighteen days, and uh, that youngest daughter looked at me and she said, "Mom, you never cease to amaze me." And she was twelve years old, I think, because I've dragged those kids in and out of every relationship, and I did all the things to them that we do to our kids. Um, 
I divorced him and I finally paid attention. If y'all notice, the ones that tell us to stay out of relationships are always married. If y'all notice that? It's, it's not any different today than it was back then. It's a... Uh, Anyway, I got a divorce from him, and, and, and I listened to my sponsor, and I stayed out of a relationship for a little over six months. And uh, I understand today, you know, I had, I, I, I did better. You know, I got some sanity. I started building a relationship with a higher power. Uh, this is around the time I was two years sober, and because uh, when I got here, I didn't, I didn't want any part of God. I could believe in a, in Alcoholics Anonymous. I could believe in. Uh, that treatment center I went through, and I could believe in, in you people, but I couldn't believe in, a, in my own personal higher power. Um, when I was ten and a half months, when I was in treatment, y'all kept telling us to pray. You need to pray. The only prayer I could really say with any sincerity was, you know, God, I know I screwed up being those kids' mom. And if you'll give me a chance, if and when you see fit, I'd like to try to do that deal again. And uh, you need to be careful what you pray for because I got those kids back when I was like ten and a half months sober. And I'm wondering what in the hell I'm going to do because I don't know what to do with them. And I'm single and, uh, you know, uh, they're, they're teenagers and teenage girls cost a lot of money because the oldest daughter is high maintenance. And always has been. The other one, she's a little tomboy, and me and her, we get along good. Um, jeans and T-shirts are good. Um, but I started trying to do, you know, the women in the program. Uh, when, you know, the, the women in the program saved my life. Uh, because they, you know, they shared with me how they tended to their kids. Uh, I'd take them to meetings, and, and they taught me how to teach them to sit down and be quiet during the meetings. Um and, and I just did what I could. Uh, I didn't always do it right, but I finally got to that place to where I, I one day I was mad at the youngest daughter. I had her up against the wall by the neck, and uh, I let go, and I went in there and called my sponsor, and it's like, you need to call me first, you know. <laughs> but uh, and, and I ran on guilt a long time. Uh, because I would tell them no, and then they'd start quizzing me or saying things, and uh, my no would turn into yes because I didn't want to hear what I did in a blackout or what I did in front of their kids. Uh, so I had a real hard time, you know, being able to do that. And um, like I said, I've known Bob for a long time, and whenever I was about three years sober, uh, his wife died. And... Uh, he became the owner of the pawn shop and the treatment center. And uh, he, he was good at the pawn shop, but he didn't know what to do with the drunk farm. And uh, at this time, I, I was, uh, I, I usually say that I lived at the, I stayed at the Ask House for six years. And, and the reason I say that is because I lived there ten and a half months, and then I, I, I worked there as the director until I was six years sober. And what a blessing because I didn't, I didn't like women when I got here. I was able to develop some relationship with women and, um, share with them. Um, Bob started calling every once in a while about what to do with some of these patients that he had at the, at the treatment center and, uh, we started visiting 
And like I said, his wife had passed away in July of 85, and we started drinking coffee and hanging out. And, you know, I was working two jobs, and he would kind of take the kids. He would say, well, the fair's in town. You want to take the kids to the fair? And I'm thinking, oh, my. Uh, but anyway, we went together for three years, and uh, it was real strange because Bob did things like open the car door for me. And, uh, I, I mean, that's something I wasn't used to because – my thinking is that, you know, I, I'm over a hundred pounds and I can open my own car door, you know. And, uh, it was like, uh, I didn't want a man doing for me what I could do for myself, you know. I mean, it's like, I'll show you. Uh, I didn't have a real good attitude and it was real uncomfortable to allow him to do those things for me. And, uh, it's not today. It's okay. It's, it's, I enjoy it, you know, and I enjoy being treated like a lady, and I wasn't used to that when I got here. Um, and for several years after I got here, I wasn't used to that. Um, I, I'm hard-headed, and I know we all are, you know, but I want to do things my way. I want to mow the yard. Bob bought me a brand-new riding lawnmower several years ago, and he, uh, he told me, he said, now, if you'll just, we had like, 27 trees? Is that how many we planted? He bought me this riding lawnmower so I could ride around the trees and he could use the tractor and the shredder to do, we had three acres. And I told him, I said, I don't want to just go around and around in circles. Yeah, so I'll just mow. But I want to mow when he's not there. That way I can mow the whole thing. And, uh, you know, I still, uh, I enjoy mowing. And, and that's hard for him because he thinks, his thinking is the man's supposed to do that. And I just want to do it because I like it, you know. So we've both had these deals that we've had to work through. Um, I was six years sober when we got married. And uh, and we, we sat down and visited before we got married, you know. Uh, uh, we've both had lived in those homes where there's fighting and arguing and uh we don't have that at our house. Um, next month we'll be married 17 years and we've never had an argument. And uh, that's the program of Alcoholics Anonymous. Totally. Um, I, don't, I don't know how to be grateful enough for recovery. You know, the Daily Reflections talked about that limitless load. Uh, and how we can just get more and more and more. And if it gets any better than it is right now, I just don't know what we're going to do. You know, somebody will, somebody will say something about, well, do y'all, y'all sleep, do y'all rest good at night? And it's like, if we rest any better, we're going to be getting caskets, you know? <laughs> it's, you know, we don't have that problem at our house. Um, like I said, we have these five kids and, uh, the youngest daughter, and Bob's got a couple of kids that he's had problems with before we got married. Of course, like like we were talking about, you know, I don't know if I married an older man or if he married an older, uh, younger woman. But uh, when we got married, my girls were still in high school, so he, he had to do that deal twice because his kids are older. And... Uh, you know, he's been there for, for everything. You know, we've, we froze our butts off on football games with the flag girl. And, uh, 
we've put put one in treatment and we've uh, you know when you a year ago july uh when jay spoke in wichita falls we spoke with him and uh, that was just down the road from Lawton, oklahoma and that youngest daughter that's where she lives and uh for three years we didn't even you know we didn't even know where she was well we'd have sean sightings you know how people call and report we saw your daughter and uh uh, the 30th of this month, she'll have a year. And uh, so as soon as we get home to Lubbock the next a couple of days later, we're going to Lawton, Oklahoma for her th- one-year birthday. And uh, I'm so grateful Alcoholics Anonymous is there. Uh, she uh, She's a drunk. I mean, she's a pure drunk, pure drunk. And, and she uh, she does it well. And... Uh, you know, you get to that place to uh, that you have to apply a program in all areas of your life, and uh, and I'm grateful I had a sponsor that taught me how to do that. Uh, I'm not one of these that go to di- different programs for different problems. You know, I go to Alcoholics Anonymous, and in the Big Book it talks about you know I had to find a God that was big enough to take care of all my problems, and and that's not why I came here. I came here just to where I'd quit writing hot che- uh, forged checks. They wasn't hot. They were hot, but they were <laughs> they were forged. Uh, I didn't hear come here to look for a God, you know. And I didn't know I was going to have to go to meetings every day, and I didn't know I was going to have to find a home group or go wash ashtrays every Saturday. That's our job. We go and clean every Saturday at our home group, and uh, you know, and we still do it. Um, some of the members, they want to know why we come clean. And it's like, somebody's got to do it, you know. But I don't know how to give back what I've been given other than to go. I, I gave up the job washing ashtrays last month. And uh, it's been hard. I don't like it. They don't do it right. <laughs> they don't do it right. I've been washing ashtrays for 23 years. And... uh I just have to stay out of the kitchen. We've got, we had to move our home group back in the summer. We had to renovate the building first and then we moved and now we have two sinks. So there's one in the kitchen and one just on the other side of the wall. So I get over here and I make the big pots of coffee for Saturday night meeting. And uh, I know I'll have to give up that job too. But see, that, that scares me, you know. And it's not that they can't do it right. But I don't want to get complacent. And I see some members. Now, I can't keep up with Bob. Bob is active in Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, But I see other members that have a lot more time than I do that don't do anything, but they don't have that sparkle in their eye, you know, and they don't have fun, and that scares me. Um, If it wasn't for the members before me, I don't know what I'd have done. If it wasn't for those people in Lawton, Oklahoma, that kid wouldn't be coming up on a year. Uh, so I, I really want to go home and wash ashtrays because that's comfortable. You know, that keeps me with a little humility. And it helps me remember there are people out there that I haven't made amends to. And there will be a day that I'm going to have to make amends to them. I'm ready. You know, I'm willing. But I want to wash the ashtrays. I just want to wash the ashtrays. That's all I want to do. <laughs> you know, I don't mind mopping or anything else. But um, 
it's neat to be here. It's, um, I love sobriety, you know. I know for you that are new, if this is the first time you're coming in, you don't ever have to go back. Uh, I hadn't, I hadn't found it necessary, you know. Um, I know I got in here and I had a good sponsor and I believe sponsorship is the key because y'all are the ones that taught me. Um, it's just, uh, it's a hell of a deal and I, I didn't know this is what, I didn't know this is what I was going to be doing, you know. Who'd ever thought I'd be in South Carolina, you know, from where I come from? Um, I mean, how do you get there? How do you get here from there? Um, by God's grace, but for the grace of God. Uh, it's a neat deal, and thank you all for inviting us. Thanks, Barbara. That was truly a wonderful message. And I do want to talk with you quite a bit this weekend. Uh, on behalf of uh, the fellowship by the sickness, we'd like to present you with a gift. And I guess all of the rest of you can see what you'll be getting now. Let us get down and, and uh, if you all will help us close with the Lord's Prayer or the prayer of your choice.